listening to PetLifeRadio.com. You've had a long day at work, and you can't wait to just get home, take off your shoes, plop yourself down in your favorite chair, and relax. Ah. You walk up to your tranquil residential home and your neatly manicured lawn in your quiet suburban neighborhood, put the key in the lock, open the door, and... Yes, the pets have gone wild! What were you thinking? Welcome to the show about everything you always wanted to know about exotic pets. Where to get them, what to feed them, and how to care for them. You'll even find out why some people live with a monkey. Now, here's your host, exotic pet expert and author, Bob Tart. Hey, Bob, what were you thinking? Hi, I'm Bob Tart, author of the books Enslaved by Ducks and Foul Weather. And I'm sitting upstairs with Maynard the cat next to me and our other cat, Agnes, on the floor. In a couple of minutes, we're going to talk to Georgiana Katarski, author and owner of Multiple Animals. I did want to say something before we do that. I made an announcement a couple of weeks ago apologizing for claiming that Enslaved by Ducks, my book, was the number one pet book on Amazon.com when in fact I meant to say it was the number one pet bird book. Well, on January 22nd, Nancy Pearl, a well-known librarian who goes on the radio, she was on NPR Morning Edition and she reviewed my book, Fall Weather, and I thank her so much for that review. In the interview, she said that some parts of the book she was laughing so hard that she couldn't catch her breath. As a result of that very generous review from Nancy, Fall Weather has just shot up the charts on Amazon.com, and Fall Weather is now the number one best-selling pet book, period, on Amazon. So if you'd like to read a funny book about pet rabbits, parrots, geese, ducks, hens, and also a number of humorous small-town people, I think that you would enjoy Follow Weather, and also my first book, Enslaved by Ducks, which is still the number one best-selling pet bird book on Amazon.com. I want to thank all my listeners who have bought copies of the book, both books, and I'd also like once again to thank Nancy Pearl. It, it really helped Follow Weather a whole lot. Moving on to our guest, Georgiana Katarski is a sustainable cattle farmer and the author of 40 magazine articles and one book. She lives in Dunlap, Tennessee, in a 120-year-old house she and her late husband Dan renovated themselves. She shares her farm, which is the subject of the humorous memoir she's working on right now, with one donkey named Pancho, Farkle the duck and his flock, Bossy the cow and her herd of 30 bovines, three dogs, including Rabbit Ann and Noodles, two turkeys, Pearl and Earl Jr., a cat, and four hens. Hi, Georgiana. How are you? Good morning. How are you? Oh, I'm good. It seems like it's been hours since I've talked to you last. <laughs> <laughs> I think about 15 hours. Uh, what happened was I recorded this interview yesterday. At least I thought I was recording it, but the ghosts wiped the recording clean. And the reason I say ghosts is because Georgiana's book, uh, besides the one she's read, writing now about her animals, her book is called Ghosts of the Southern Tennessee Valley. 
and we made the mistake of talking about that a little bit and this isn't the first time that the spirits have uh, played tricks uh, with recordings is it well not for me i had a whole recording loss and i was uh, doing an interview for my ghost book and checked the tape recorder two or three times to make sure it was running and it appeared to be running fine and when i got home there was just really nothing much on it but some strange sounds Wow. And embarrassing. They had to call the people back and, and do the interview again. Now, were you at a site that was haunted, or was it just because you were talking about the ghosts? Well, I was at the Chickamauga Battlefield, which is probably one of the most haunted places in the United States, so I guess you could say, yes, it's very haunted. Wow. I, I saw a video on YouTube that purportedly shows ghosts at Gettysburg. Have you seen that video? I haven't, but I've heard lots of stories about ghosts at Gettysburg. Well, that's a pretty scary video. But here's something even scarier. I am going to read a couple paragraphs of something that Georgiana sent me, emailed me, and this is from the book she's working on. So if you think ghosts are scary, listen to a little bit about cackle phobia. So this is what Georgiana wrote. Chickens haunt my earliest memories, visions of a small child clutching corn, being run down by voracious hens. What sadistic adult would give chicken feed to a child? I was not surprised to learn 40 years later that birds are the descendants of dinosaurs such as raptors and tyrannosaurs. Frankly, I had already figured that out as a two-year-old. My dad, ever the photo buff, captured one feeding frenzy on film. Dressed in corduroy pants and red buckle-up keds, I stood crying while dutifully tossing scratch, or were my arms flailing in gestures of, get away. The corn hit the ground regardless of my intentions. Dad, like so many parents observing their children developing the neurotic tendencies for which they, the parents, would later be blamed, thought it was cute. While most children dreamed of ghosts, witches, bears, and other monstrous creatures, I experienced the night terrors only chickens can bring. I awoke late at night, flapping the covers and screaming that chickens were all over the bed. I had cackle-phobia. So that's, that's just a wonderful passage from the book that Georgiana Katarski is working on. What's the name of the book? Well, right now I'm calling it Canoeing with Cows. Canoeing with Cows. And uh, we'll talk in a couple minutes about how that title came up. Have you gotten over your fear of hens? Well, I did, and uh, like so many little girls, the thing that got me over it was trying to impress a little boy. The little boy next door had some chickens, and I certainly couldn't let him see me being afraid of them, so that sort of got me over it real quick. Yeah, I, I would think so, although I should point out that most, most small children are far braver than I am, but uh, I guess you probably had a neighborhood reputation to uphold. Well, I did. I was quite a tomboy, and I certainly couldn't have any of the boys. Most of my neighbors were boys. I couldn't have them saying I was a sissy, so had to get right with chickens. And you have chickens now? I do still have some chickens. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Um, and you get along with them okay? I do. I get along with them quite well. How about roosters? Any rooster problems? Well, I've had rooster problems on and off. I don't have one right now. My little rooster that I do have is a, a nice little rooster. never gives me any trouble. But I've been attacked by roosters several times. Yeah. If you've ever had roosters more than two or three, it's probably at least been attacked once. We had one rooster once, and the person who gave us Teddy, he was a barred rock, swore that he was just the most gentle being on the planet. And every time I'd go out to the barn to feed the hens, Teddy would attack me. It got so I would have to bonk him on the head with this little plastic pitcher. And it never did him any harm, but I just told him to stay away. But it never discouraged him. So finally, 
<laughs> well, they'll just think that indeed you are a rooster if you try to defend yourself. Oh, well, I don't know what else to do. Um, I know. What we did do, we found a very tolerant soul down the street from us who took Teddy. And oh, so good. Teddy is living out his life um, in, I don't know if in peace or not, but he's living out his life. But tell me, tell me about your book, Canoeing with Cows. You're working on it right now, is that right? Working on it, I've probably written about 75% of the words and done 50% of the work, because as a writer, you know that the editing is a huge part of the work as well. But it mainly covers the 10 years that my uh, late husband and I lived here on this farm where I am now, raising cattle and so on. But it does start, like you, you pointed out with the little excerpt you read, as a child, I was interested in farming, not doing a very good job at it, but interested in it. Yeah. But the uh, bulk of it is about raising the cattle here in the Sequatchie Valley in Tennessee. So you did not grow up thinking that you would end up on a farm, did you? Well, I always loved being outdoors, and I grew up in the outdoors, and I always wanted to be outdoors. I didn't think I would be a farmer so much as I just loved to hike and be outside, and I just wanted land so I could do that and enjoy nature. I never thought about raising cattle. I would have never thought in a million years I would raise cattle. And here you are. And here I am, and I just love cattle. Well, the excerpts that you sent me. Those are absolutely wonderful. When do you expect that uh, people might be able to buy the book? Well, I don't want to presume that my publisher who did the ghost book is going to buy it. I hope they will like it. If they do like it, it probably could be completely written by the end of this year and perhaps summer of 2009 might be able to come out. But again, that would be up to them should they choose to. I can't imagine, I, I can't imagine them not being on their hands and knees grateful for you to turn in something so marvelous. Uh, ju- judging from, yeah. Um, let's mention the publisher of Ghosts of the Southern Tennessee Valley. Well, it's John F. Blair. Okay. Do they have a website? They do. Um, I believe that's the. I can't remember the name of the website, but if someone typed in John F. Blair, they would find the website. Okay. You have a website, don't you? I do. Okay. What is your website? Well, it's georgianakotarski.com, which is quite a mouthful. <laughs> okay, and that's K-O-T-A-R-S-K-I. Okay, and it's Georgiana with one N. Okay, we will put a link up on the Pet Life Radio website so that people will be able to find that. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. And also, um, as I mentioned when I talked to you yesterday, that on my website, bobtart.com, if you click on Foul Weather, which is the name of one of my books, and then click on the link that says Blurbs, you will see a picture of the cover of Ghosts of the Southern Tennessee Valley, and there's a link to Amazon so that you can buy 10, 20, 30 copies. Okay? All right. Let's talk about some of your critters. And let's start with Farkle the house duck, formerly a house duck. So what's the story with Farkle? How did you end up with this duck, and why on earth did you raise a duck in the house? Well, Farkle is really a miracle duck because um, he just shouldn't have ever hatched. He just The circumstances seemed to be conspiring against him, and yet he still managed to hatch and, and live. Um, an old mallard mother duck was sitting on a large clutch of eggs, and she tried and tried for six weeks to hatch those eggs. And as you know, it takes four weeks to hatch duck eggs. So she continued to try, even after the four weeks were up. We sort of had given up on those eggs, because obviously they're not going to hatch at six weeks. One day we discovered she was missing, and we knew that a predator had gotten her, because there she was. I'm sure the predator was very tempted and had watched her for days and days. Oh, dear. And we thought, well, that's, you know, we were very sad about it. And we figured the eggs were useless and it was a pointless thing that she had just tried so hard. And so we kind of ignored the eggs. 
the next morning when we let the ducks out, I could not feed the ducks. I had to hurry off to work for some reason. I told my husband, I said, now go out there and check the ducks and give them some food. So he went out a little bit later in the day than normal. And as he walked by the duck house, he heard a little peeping sound. And that sort of caught his attention. Like you, he's a big bird watcher, so he didn't know if it was a little bird or what. Hey, maybe some, <laughs> yeah, maybe some new species in the barn. <laughs> so he stopped to say, did I hear what I just think I just heard? I mean, what is it? So that caught his attention, and he realized that the peeping seemed to be coming from the duck house. So after looking at all the eggs, he fin- finally heard the one peeping and picked it up, and there was a little crack in it. Well, you're not supposed to help eggs hatch, you know, but he just could not help himself. He peeled back one little piece of shell, and there was a little eye. Oh, oh dear. And then he knew there was a live duckling in there, so he called me at work right away. He know what <laughs> the mother was gone, and he just wasn't sure what he should do. So I suggested he put it in the car. It was July, and the sun had come up enough to warm the car up. To be warm, but not too warm, because obviously we didn't want to bake the little critter. He did that, and just as he was getting everything under control, there came the cattle trailer bringing the bull for our uh, cattle. Oh. And so he had to help that guy find the cattle and take the bull out, and he has this little duck he's trying to take care of at the same time. Because, you know, when you have animals, everything always happens at once. So... It was very questionable that a duck hatching under those circumstances could even live because, after all, he'd been without uh, a mother for hours at this point. But he did. We brought him in the house. And, uh, of course, he thought we were his parents because, and followed us everywhere. And, and pretty much as tiny as he was, took over everything. Yeah, they will do that, won't they? They will. And how did you enjoy having a house duck? Well, <laughs> it was really fun. I mean, ducks are cute when they're babies, of course. They're cute when they're adults as well. They're just so, uh, they're very curious and they're very busy. So we enjoyed it, but it was exhausting, too. They're very messy creatures, aren't they? Extremely messy. That was an issue we had to deal with. Yeah, we had somebody on the show a couple weeks ago, and she was telling me about her pet house duck, KD. And this was a woman named April, and she buys duck diapers for KD. Now, did these duck diapers, did you ever check into that when you had Farkle in the house? I did check into it. At first, I tried to make some duck diapers out of uh, some old socks. Oh, I would have loved to have seen that. How did those work? Well, it didn't work very well because Farkle did not want to put his little rear end in those old socks. His little feet were going like a garden tiller on full blast, trying to avoid the socks. And then I tried those... uh, elastic covers that you put over bowls, you know, to store kitchen food in your refrigerator. And uh, those really didn't fit in very well. And his little tail was wiggling so much I couldn't even really keep them, you know, they wouldn't stay on at all. Ducks are very willful little creatures, they aren't are. they? So I pretty much gave up. I did discover uh, that there were duck diapers for sale on the Internet, but I never actually bought any. I was very tempted to, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've gotten emails from other people who have used duck duck diapers and, and swear by them. We've never had a house duck, but um, I, I guess it's something to bear in mind. They don't seem to be able to be uh, potty trained. I mean, you can't or something like I understand you can do some animals. No, and about every, every 20 minutes, uh, nature calls right. with a duck. So how did Farkle do adjusting to being a duck again when you finally integrated him with the flock? Well, it took literally months for him to learn he was a duck and that he could live outside with the flock and didn't have to follow me everywhere. So we started very, very slowly just by taking him outside. Often I would take him out for a walk and he would follow me right on my heel, so I didn't have to worry about that at all. And I would just take him to where the ducks were. And that's how it started. And then eventually he got to live on the back porch so that when the ducks made their rounds around the yard, they'd stop and check on him. That's, that's good of them. 
And then they really got together when I put out a small, uh, like a little feed bucket with some water that he could swim in. That attracted the other ducks, so they wanted to come up and check out that fun activity. And then they they pestered Farkle a lot because he was the baby and they were older, but they were still building a relationship with him. And over the months, he finally went with them full time and, and accepted that. And he still looks at me when he sees me come out. And he's always the last one in the duck house at night. He stops and poses on the door. <laughs> and I see him. And then he finally goes in. So he does still remember me as his mama, but he knows he's a duck now. Oh, that's wonderful. Somebody gave us a, a white pecan. Uh, last spring named Bumpkin and Bumpkin was a house duck and the story was a lot the same as Farkle's story and it took Bumpkin this Amy Peterson gave us Bumpkin and, and her husband Mark and it took Bumpkin quite a while to get used to living out in the barn and then it also took her I should say her quite a while to realize that she was a duck and you know um what I want to say, bond with the other flock members. So it takes them a while. It really does. And I think some people might have been tempted to just simply say, well, it's warm outside, I'm going to put him out there. But that would have caused incredible emotional trauma, I'm sure. Yep, absolutely. Well, we're going to talk more to Georgiana Katarski about, we're going to talk about her pet cow and also about her pet donkey. But we're going to take a break right now just in case there are any corporations whimsical enough to sponsor this show. So we will be right back. What were you thinking? We'll be right back after Bob gets the ducks out of his living room. Don't go away. Stop what you're doing and start horsing around. Every week on Pet Life Radio. Horse expert and award-winning rider Audrey Pavia will be trotting out great tips on feeding, breeding, and more on everything equestrian. So set a spell and say hey to Audrey and get ready for a darn tootin' gallopin' good time. Every week on Horsin' Around, on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Pets are part of the family, and when traveling with your dog, there's only one magazine to include when packing your doggy's duffel bag, and that's Fido Friendly, the travel and lifestyle magazine for you and your dog. Each bi-monthly issue includes hotel, city and state reviews, and doggy destinations to explore with your furry companion. Fido Friendly magazine can be found at Borders, Barnes & Noble, PetSmart, Pet Boutiques, and Fido Friendly hotels nationwide. Or you can go online to subscribe at www.fidofriendly.com. So get traveling with your pet today and leave no dog behind. And remember, Fido Friendly's the only magazine dedicated to the travel lifestyle of man's best friend and the one magazine your dog will thank you for. It's time to start scratching for donations for the Humane Society of Broward County's Walk for the Animals presented by VCA Animal Hospitals. The walk is Saturday, March 1st at Esplanade Park in downtown Fort Lauderdale. You'll need a registration form, so stop by any VCA Animal Hospital, IHOP, the Museum of Discovery and Science, or the Humane Society. This event is also brought to you by Big 105.9, Comcast, Purina One, PetLifeRadio.com, Tidy Cats, and The Herald. Call 954-266-6817 or log on to Walk 
The number four, theanimals.com for more details. See you there. Welcome to Pet Planet. Here's a copy of Pet Planet Magazine, Florida's most informative and fun pet resource magazine. It features heartwarming stories and informative articles from local and national pet experts. Excellent. Pet Planet Magazine offers Operation Planet Rescue, helping rescued pets find new homes. And it's available at 500 locations in South and Central Florida and 24-7 on the Internet at PetPlanetMagazine.com. If you're out and about with your pet, you may be featured in Paparazzi, candid pictures of you and your pet. For up-to-date pet-friendly events, activities, and pet-related services and products, Pet Planet Magazine is your final destination. I shall take this magazine home with me. Back to your home planet? No, to my condo in Boca. Pet Planet Magazine. Check them out at www.petplanetmagazine.com or 352-394-8578. It's out of this world. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Okay, ducks are in the pond, rabbits in his hutch, and monkeys... Ow! In my car! Oh, okay, well, I go check my insurance policy. We'll turn you back over to Bob. Hi, you're listening to What Were You Thinking? I'm Bob Tart, and I'm talking to... Georgiana Katarski, author of Ghosts of the Southern Tennessee Valley, and her forthcoming book, which is called Canoeing with Cal. <laughs> and you have to share the story of how you came upon that title, because I don't think you could get a cow in a canoe. Maybe a calf? Well, I wouldn't recommend it. My pet cow, Bossy, would probably like to get in the canoe. <laughs> how much does Bossy weigh? Well, she's not a very large cow, but still, 800 pounds at least. <laughs> so how did the title come about? Well, you know, like you, we live very close to a small river, just a few hundred feet away, and um, we're in a flood valley, floodplain area. And so we get floods sometimes in the wintertime, and one winter we were having quite a bad flood, and I was worried that the cows maybe didn't have enough high ground, so I decided to go ahead and canoe out and check on them just to be sure that everyone was... The fences weren't keeping them from getting to where they needed to go and so on. So I canoed out. I looked at them, made sure everyone was fine. They all seemed fine to me. So I got back in my canoe and started paddling back. And all of a sudden, I heard a lot of splashing behind me. And I looked behind me, and here they all came. Oh, my gosh. And I thought, well, they'll just go in the water a little bit, and then they'll go back. No, they. the water got deeper and deeper. The water was so deep that it actually covered up some of the fences that I had to go through to get to them. As the water got deeper and deeper, they just... They swam, and they were catching up with me. It's boiling water herd of cows. It's very frightening because if they had caught up with me, they could have possibly turned me over, not with any malice at all. They just wanted to, to follow me, you know, because cows do like to follow. And um, so I paddled as fast as I could go. But in my life, the floodwaters, as you know, because I know you get some floods too, they're very muddy. Yeah. If I had fallen in, even though my husband was not that far away, I don't think he could have found me to pull me out if I'd wow. been knocked unconscious by cow hooves flying. I suppose we can't hope that he was there with a video camera. Well, unfortunately not. <laughs> Any kind of camera with him. And uh, the neighbor was there, too. They were talking, and uh, neither one of them had a camera. We didn't expect any problems at all. Had they ever seen anything like that before? No, the neighbor was pretty startled. <laughs> It took him a minute to do what he needed to do, and the main thing he needed to do was call the cows 
So they would come toward him, and I could canoe off another direction and get away. <laughs> he did. They always came to his call. He said, come on, girls. And they swam toward him, and I cut off to the right and was able to get away from that dangerous situation and, and live to see another day. Wow, so you were a cowgirl in a canoe. Mm -hmm. That is just amazing. That could that could open up a, a whole new, I don't know, job for somebody, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Now, you were talking about the fences, and I understand that you have two animals that are escape artists, and that's Bossy the cow and Pancho the donkey. Right. And what happened when you first brought Bossy home as far as, far as your fences? Well, Bossy was our only cow at that time, and we bought this old farm that hadn't uh, been used in at least 10 years, had lots of very old, old barbed wire fences on it, and covered up in brush so we couldn't see it very well, and so it was full of holes that we didn't know about. But she found them. She'd find one. She'd come back to the house and stand outside the back door and move. And, and his friend would throw the tools in the back of the old truck and run out there and, and find that hole and patch it up. And then a few days later, she'd find another one and come to the backyard and move. She never ran away. She always came up to the house to announce the hole. So she was very she was very helpful in that way. She was. So she helped us repair at least seven holes in the fence. Now, would Dan just go and look for the the first gap in the fence he found and then assume that that was it? Or how, how would you, you wouldn't necessarily know which one she came out through, would you? That's a good question. I'm, I'm not sure how he figured out where she had come from, but somehow he did manage to, to find them and, and patch up quite a few pieces of fence. Now, in the manuscript that you sent me, the, the pieces from your manuscript, you referred to Bossy as a practice cow. Is that right? Now, who is Vincent that you mentioned in the manuscript? Who's Vincent? Vincent. Oh, Victor. Victor, I'm sorry. Victor is our neighbor who's been farming his whole life. He lives up the road, and I think we were quite shocking to him. <laughs> cows but we were doing all this farming and we had some weird ideas because we're sustainable farmers okay why don't you why don't you say what that is because i don't i don't know the difference well sustainable farmers try to take the environment into account for example we try to fence off the river and we do management intensive grazing so that the grass we can get more grass without lots of chemicals and fertilizer and that sort of thing we try to have breeds of cattle that do well in our climate we don't feed any grain because grain is really bad for the... Growing so much grain is not good environmentally, and it's really not what cows are meant to eat. I mean, actually, this I could probably talk for hours about sustainable farming, but it definitely is something that you shouldn't hurt the land when you sustainably farm. The land should actually get better over time. Oh, that's great. Traditional farming, the land becomes weaker over time. Mm -hmm. And how is that continuing to go? Well, it's going pretty well. The, the last year or two has... These two years have been really rough because you may have heard on the news we've had a terrible drought yeah. in the southeast. Yeah. And uh, fortunately, I have a lot of bottomland here, which does hold moisture. That helps a little bit. But even the bottomland has dried out because of this drought. Wow. And what's the outlook? They're talking about potentially another drought this coming year. But since they're often wrong in predicting the weather, I'm hoping they're wrong again. Yeah, you told me you've had some good rains lately. Yeah, lately we have had some, some rain. So hopefully that will recharge the water table. My well has not run dry, knock on wood, but yeah. it's nerve-wracking to think it might because I water my cattle out of the, the nice well. I like to give them nice, clean water. Yeah, good luck with that, boy. Thank you. Now, Bossy, as good as getting out of the fence as she was, you have another animal who's really a Houdini when it comes to escape artistry. Is that right? Right. started off by physically finding ways to get out by using his rubbery lips to undo all the hatches. My husband would get a certain type of uh, 
I mean, Latch is... He's, he, this is a donkey. Latch, the donkey would watch him and eventually figure it out and he'd let himself out. So this is a... <laughs> My husband would get a different kind of Latch, thinking he had foiled Poncho. And Poncho would watch again and eventually figure it out. Wow, that, that is amazing. So Poncho the donkey would watch your husband and then be able to, just using his lips, which I guess they can manipulate almost like fingers. Almost, uh-huh. And then he would open open the gate. At it and keep Because what else did he have to do? I mean, we fed him. He didn't have to really look for food or do anything. So he entertained himself by finding ways to escape. Well, they must be fairly smart. They are pretty smart, I think. I mean, some people would say they're dumb because they do things like Poncho and his uh, girlfriend Juanita both stood out in the flood and refused to come to dry land, had to be lassoed by horses, which makes people think they're stupid because they do those sorts of things. But I think they're pretty smart in general. Well, he might have had a really good reason for that, that you know, made perfect sense to him. But in his mind, he did. Yeah, we just don't understand it. Well, the water got a little deeper before it got shallower, and I think that he didn't want to walk in water that was an inch deeper in order to get to land. Oh, well, that sure. Yeah. <laughs> now, you sent me a section about Pancho where your husband, Dan, was sort of gloating because he had finally made an escape-proof latch, is that correct? Right. We were standing outside. It was night, and we were looking uh, at Poncho trying to get out of uh, the latest latch. And we both said, I'll never get out of that. And as we stood there saying that, he suddenly undid the latch, and before we could do anything, threw the gate open and ran off down the road to the subdivision that someone had just put out in our rural area. (laughs) He couldn't go down the driveway or through the pastures around us. He had to go through the subdivision. Yeah. The manicured lawns and so on. I like your description of the subdivision in uh, the manuscript you sent me. You call it the small subdivision that some hit-and-run developer had dropped on our l- rural landscape in the middle of the night. What it felt like. It seemed so out of place. And, uh, Where did Pancho end up? He went on down the road. We thought he was going to the neighbors who had horses because all equines like to be together, you know. But instead, he couldn't be predictable, you know. He turned the other direction and went to the neighbors who had goats and somehow got in their pasture. I don't know if he jumped into the pasture or how he got in the pasture, but he did. Was this a uh, fenced-off area? It was, and so we went into the pasture, basically trespassing into someone's land. Did you know these people? Not really. I mean, we knew their name, but we didn't really know them, and they didn't really know us. Did they know of you as the... They uh... <laughs> of us. <laughs> They I mean, did <laughs> come out in the pasture? They just stood on the porch in a little huddle and watched because they did not know what we were doing, running around in circles in their pasture. Oh boy! I, I wonder if they uh, had a little talk later and said, "Oh yeah, those are the people Victor told us about." Well, actually, this was our neighborhood before we moved down here. It was our smaller farm before we moved down here to the larger farm. So <laughs> now, I'm sure they'd love to compare notes if they knew each other. Now, you told me that Pancho loved to run away just for the fun of it and for the fun of teasing your husband. Right. He seemed to want my husband to chase him. It was like a game. And a lot of times I had to catch Poncho because he would let, he would actually let me approach him with a lead rope and catch him, but he wouldn't let my husband because that was part of the fun. It wasn't fun for Dan, was it? No. <laughs> One time he got really disgusted and said, well, heck, you can just stay run away. I don't care if you come home or not. And he started walking home. And then Poncho started following him home. Good grief. So on this per- he realized the game was up. <laughs> on this particular night, when Poncho was in the goat pasture, Dan tried chasing him, didn't he? Yes. But you ended up catching Poncho. I ended up catching him. Um, Dan was just totally out of breath, and I said, okay, just let me try. And I tried to act as bored as I could. 
<laughs> just very slowly acting, just bored, 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 walk up to him, and that's how I caught him. If I'd acted too intent on it, I think he would have even run away from me. And you said he was already wearing his halter, so you just clipped the lead? Yes. Yeah. And then once you uh, put the lead on him, you didn't have to drag him home, I take it. Well, he doesn't lead very well. He doesn't really understand leading, but, yeah, he he didn't really resist. He knew that it was over. So yeah. It wasn't too hard at that point to get him on home. Now, this, uh, Pancho was a, was it a Christmas present for Dan? He was. Could you could you tell that story? Well, he had always talked about how he, when he was a little boy, he'd heard about uh, a little boy and his donkey. And I can't remember if the little boy was named Pancho or the donkey was named Pancho, but that had really caught his attention as a child, so I decided we had a couple of small goats, and you know, you're not supposed to just put goats out in the pasture, because we had lost a goat before that to a dog, a, a domestic dog coming through and getting in our fence, oh, killing boy. the goat, oh. so we felt like we needed a guard, so really the purpose of Poncho to begin with was to guard these two little goats, so I found him, and but I had no way to get him home, so I had the neighbor help me with the trailer, and, I wanted it to be a surprise, so it was very difficult to plan all this and not have my husband find out. Yeah, a donkey as a surprise Christmas present is kind of a tough secret to keep. Even a baby is still pretty large, so on Christmas Eve, he got Poncho and took him to his house. And then we had to think of an excuse to get my husband over there to see him. How could you do that on on Christmas Eve? How could you come up with an excuse? Most people on Christmas Eve do family things. And uh, Johnny, our neighbor, had plenty of family things going on in his life, and we had plenty of family things. But we owed Johnny a lot because our house had burned to the ground a couple of years before, and Johnny had helped us rebuild it. So Ski, um, that's what I call my husband Dan, he felt like he owed Johnny a lot. So when his son came over and said, Dad needs some help unloading some metal... He got his gloves out and said, well, I'm going to help him. He said, I don't know why he's doing that on Christmas Eve, though. That's a crazy thing to do on Christmas Eve, but I'm going to go help him. So we went over there, and we opened up the horse trailer, and he was expecting to see a lot of metal in there, and there was Poncho sitting down, not laying down and not standing up, but actually sitting down in the back corner with a great big red bow around his neck. Oh, what did Dan think? He said something I can't repeat. (laughs) He was truly shocked in a good way. Uh, I was going to say, he, he, you can't repeat it, but it was a, a happy word. It was, in context. Was really a happy word, the way he said it was happy. <laughs> he was very happy, and uh, they bonded and became wonderful best friends. Wow. And how long did you have Pancho before he started doing his um, escapes? Oh, my. Probably not very long. Probably just a few months. I think even when he was still quite young, he started getting into mischief. Yeah. Well, these are just terrific stories, and I want to remind people that I'm talking to Georgiana Katarski, and these uh, animals are in her forthcoming book, Canoeing with Cows, and look for it in, you you figure, probably 2009? Well, I'm thinking so. That's what I'm hoping. Oh, this will get published. This is just, just absolutely wonderful. And... Please pick up Georgiana's Ghosts of the Southern Tennessee Valley. These are just, not only are these really spooky, true stories of ghosts, but the book is so beautifully written that uh, uh, my wife Linda called Georgiana back yesterday and was telling her that, you know, this is a, a book she wants to read over again. So, Georgiana, you're just a wonderful writer, and I know you're going to do great. And once the book is published, if by some fluke I still have this podcast, you will definitely be invited on again so that we can promote the heck out of it and well, sell that. a lot of copies. So 
thanks so much for being on the show. Well, thank you. Okay, we'll talk to you again. Bye-bye. So that's it for this week's episode of What Were You Thinking? And let's hope it doesn't disappear. I'd like to thank Georgiana Katarski, author of Ghosts of the Southern Tennessee Valley, for being on the show. Please check out Georgiana's website. It is georgianakatarski.com. That's G-E-O-R-G-I-A-N-A-K-O-T-A-R-S-K-I.com. If you'd like to be a guest on What Were You Thinking, just send an email to bob at petliferadio.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks to our very mysterious producers who are in a hut in Antarctica this week. Bye-bye. Thinking about buying a monkey? How about a ferret or a skunk? Then check out the show that will answer the burning questions, where do you get them? What do you feed them? How do you take care of them? And most of all, what were you thinking? With exotic pet expert and author Bob Tart, every week on demand from PetLifeRadio.com.